Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. God the King, as we give him all honor and glory, one way we do that is to confess our sins. And so God calls us to confess from his word. In Exodus 33, uh, one of uh, the times that Moses was on the mountain with the Lord, we hear God call us to worship from verse uh, 18 of Exodus 33. Moses said, please show me your glory. And then God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, You cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, Here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. And so it shall be, while my glory passes by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Thus far the word of the Lord. Moses could not see the face of God because no one can see him and live. Why is this? Because God is holy. In our text in the Transfiguration this morning, Peter, James, and John see the face of God in Jesus Christ and they survive. How does this happen? The answer is that Jesus is our justification. The Aaronic blessing comes true for us when Jesus looks on us. God makes his face shine on us, not with a look that blinds and burns us, but with a look that is favor. And we need to confess that we cannot attain this favor on our own. The Lord gives us peace as he gives us Jesus. That we cannot get peace by working anything for ourselves. We must be given it by the Lord Jesus. So let's confess our sins before Almighty God. I encourage you to kneel if you're able, and I'll pray and lead us in a prayer of confession this morning. chapter 16, the beginning of chapter 17. This is Transfiguration Sunday in the uh, church year. Uh, This coming week begins the season of Lent, and so we'll address that briefly this morning as well. But let's read uh, the first 13 verses, Matthew 17. Hear God's inerrant word. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, 
in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, and do not be afraid. When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Now as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already, and they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. The grass withers, the flower fades, but this word of God stands forever. And God's people said, Amen. Oh, we have before us here the account of the transfiguration. I've been asking uh, my kids uh, the last couple of days, what does transfiguration mean? Anyway, that's a big word. It's a church word we don't use too often. It simply means change in appearance, right? Jesus changes in appearance. So we, what we have here is God uh, giving us a glimpse of the glory of Jesus as we take up our cross and follow him. So remember the context here. I had us uh, read through uh, the, a good part of the last chapter, chapter 16. Uh, and uh, the first uh, verses of our text, it says, Now after six days, which kind of connects us to well, what, what was before that. Six days after what? Uh, and what just happened is Jesus calling the disciples to take up the cross and to follow him. Right? Peter nails it as far as who Jesus is. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. But then he immediately tries to stop Jesus from going to Jerusalem, going to the cross. So Peter's the classic vacillator who nails it one moment, and the next moment Jesus is calling him Satan because he's an offense to him, because he's gone the wrong direction. And as a result of that, out of that kind of context, Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. I'm going to my cross. You take up yours as well. And from that, we come to the transfiguration. The call to the cross gives us that context. This is a taste of the reward and the glory that is given. And that's given as a help to Jesus and to the disciples both. Whenever we're called to go through a difficult time, God may give us a mountaintop experience, as we put it, to help us through that time. This is a foretaste of glory. That's my first point this morning. Uh, after six days, which means on the seventh day, right? There's a Sabbath rest hint here. Sabbath is always a, a sign of uh, restoration, of culmination. Uh, the work is all done. Now we come to the end and we rest. So it's really a sign of consummation, of the end of all things, right? We had that in the Exodus reading as well. When Moses goes up on the mountain, he's up there for six days. The seventh day, God appears in the cloud. Same timeline here. So we have that Sabbath rest kind of hymn, the, the foretaste of the glory to come. And here the veil is lifted partly. Uh, the, the veil is lifted momentarily. And we should look back, and we've done some of that looking in Exodus already. Uh, consider how many times Israel has this kind of experience. On the mountain with light and cloud. Yeah, that's the common elements. Moses was on Sinai with the burning bush. 
Later, he was on Sinai again with the cloud and the fire as the Ten Commandments are spoken. Elijah was also on Mount Carmel, and he has the famous contest, right? And fire comes down. There you have, again, the mountain, the, the cloud, and the, and the fire, the light. Uh, Elijah, from Mount Carmel, uh, runs away from Jezebel, who's trying to kill him, and runs to Mount Sinai. He goes to another mountain. And there, he, he experiences God's wind and earthquake and fire. And then the still, small voice. Elijah on the mountain. And all of that shows the presence of God. God showed up with Moses and with Elijah. But Moses had to wear a veil for the blinding light. Elijah had to take shelter in a cave. But with Jesus, the blinding light comes from him. He is the light. The glory of the person of Jesus is shown here, his true identity. And John is standing right there on the mountain. And he writes later in John 1.14, We beheld his glory. And Peter standing right there on that mountain. And he writes in 2 Peter 1.16, We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So it's good to look back like that to the Old Testament to see the pattern. God shows himself in similar patterns and it helps us to understand him more. It helps us to see how much greater Jesus is compared to that. But we have to be careful. Peter falls into a mistake here in this text as well. We tend to look back and think of how great those times were or how great those figures of history were. And we may even idolize them. Figures like John Calvin or Martin Luther or whoever it is. Or, or we might wish for years that were, that were simpler in the past, times when life was simpler. And we forget often that life was simpler because we were different. That we were in a different life stage now than we are now. So things look differently to us. Not necessarily because things have actually gotten so much worse. Peter makes this mistake. He looks up to Moses and Elijah and so much that he puts them on par with Jesus. Jesus, it's great that we're here. Let's, let's give each of you a tent so you can stay a while. And he makes Jesus equal to them instead of making Jesus greater. He wants to hold on to this moment of heritage. Now that's very understandable in one sense. You know, if, if St. Augustine appeared to me, uh, I'd clear my schedule. I'd, I'd want him to stay as long as possible. But with Jesus there in glory, that desire is wrong-headed. If Augustine and Jesus both show up, I'd probably have make the same mistake as Peter, perhaps. You know how with, when three or more people are together talking, there are subtle ways that we show respect to some people? You know, someone asks a really good question, and the group's heads all turn towards certain people looking for a good answer? You know how that, that works? The apostles' heads in this moment, had swung to Moses and Elijah when they appeared. But they needed to be looking to Jesus. Hearing Jesus is more important than anything. More important than seeing or hearing Moses or Elijah. And God himself corrects Peter. In the last chapter, Jesus had said, Get behind me, Satan. Now, God says to the apostles... With Moses and Elijah and Jesus all in the lineup there, God says, This is my son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. 
the emphasis is really on the him. Because, again, Peter, James, and John are looking at Moses and Elijah. Wow. And God says, no, this one. We have it recorded in Scripture. Times when God was displeased with Moses, with Elijah. But not so with Jesus. Never. So, yes, look back in appreciation to times uh, in the past. Times with Moses or Elijah, Augustine or Anselm. Uh, treasure things that they, that they did, uh, those people did in that day. The Reformation, whatever it may have been. Yes. But don't let that obscure your view of Jesus on the throne in majesty today. The Reformation was a great thing. Uh, but it was nowhere near as glorious as the person of Jesus Christ. American culture in the past was based on Christian ideals more than it is now. Yes. But that past culture is not something to look to more than we look to Jesus Christ in this book. Again, we can have our vision of Jesus obscured by looking back in the wrong way. Solomon said it in Ecclesiastes. He said, Do not say, Why were the former days better than these? For you do not inquire wisely concerning this. Fascinating verse. What we need is a look ahead. And that's what this transfiguration gives us. It's a foretaste of glory. This is what Jesus is going to look like when he comes again. This is what he looks like now at the right hand of the throne of God. Shining in brilliance, majestic, glorious. And he'll come again to judge the living and the dead. We need this foretaste of glory if we are to take up our cross and follow Jesus. So that's the first point here, the foretaste of glory. And the second point I've got really is kind of a sub-point of the first. It's a proof of the resurrection. Here you have Moses and Elijah standing. I mean, consider this. If ever there was a proof of the resurrection of the body, here it is. They've been dead for centuries in Jesus' day. But here they are alive in a body that they can see, talking with Jesus. They have vocal cords that work. They're talking with Jesus, even though they've been dead for centuries. A proof of the resurrection of the body. And again, that's a foretaste of glory to come. They see resurrection right before their eyes. And before Jesus goes to the cross, they have that proof of resurrection. So even as Jesus tells them, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be killed, and I'll rise the third day. We often think, man, that must have been hard to even process. How could they even take that all in? Well, they had Moses and Elijah standing before them to take it in. There is a resurrection. So there's a proof there of the resurrection of the body. And the last point, the divine testimony. This is a divine testimony. The voice from heaven, right? Just like with Moses and Elijah. The the pattern is strikingly similar. As God speaks on Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments, to to Moses on the mountain with the fire and the cloud. So uh, God spoke to Elijah in the still, small voice, bringing a fire, bringing earthquake on the mountain. So here, they're on the mountain. Uh, Jesus, uh, the, the cloud overwhelms, overcomes them. The light and then the voice. What we have here is a moment of worship on this Mount of Transfiguration. God gives Peter, James, and John an experience seeing the glory of Jesus. Seeing the glory of Jesus. 
This is something they needed because they've been living with him day by day. And when you live with, you know, the saying, familiarity breeds contempt, right? That may be an overstatement in, in the, this example, but they're getting used to Jesus. They need to see him as he really is. He's got a veil over him this whole time. Uh, a veil uh, covering, uh, concealing his true glory. And so God gives them this experience to worship. Worship is experiencing the presence of God. I know it doesn't happen so sensationally every Sunday like it does here with this transfiguration. And it doesn't have to be a sensational experience. But worship is the experience of being in the physical presence of other believers, hearing the word preached, eating bread, drinking wine at the Lord's table. Listening to a sermon online is great when you're sick, but it's a lousy substitute for the fellowship of believers from week to week. We come together and we worship God. We, we sense his presence. And again, sometimes that's more or less. But that is the point of worship. God gives these disciples a moment of clarity. Jesus has been a Jewish boy, a carpenter, and then a rabbi and a teacher. And the disciples have been students of this rabbi. But now, Jesus is revealed as he is, as the Son of God, high and lifted up equal in power and glory to God the Father. The disciples standing there are creatures made through that word of God. Creator and creatures. Not, simple, not simply uh, teacher and student. The Lord Jesus is revealed. And you have to hear this moment of worship. Jesus far above the greatest of men. So Moses and Elijah are standing there, and again, I think the, the apostles, their heads are swinging to Moses and Elijah. They, they want to hear from them. Jesus, we've heard you teaching us for a year or so, whatever it is now, but now here's Moses and Elijah. Let, let's hear from them. And God says, no, listen to him. This is my son. Moses and Elijah, they were faithful servants in the house, as the writer of Hebrews puts it. But Jesus is the son who owns the house, the heir. Jesus doesn't point to the glory of God as Moses and Elijah did. Jesus is the glory of God. And God points to Jesus. This is my son. What God says here is rather fascinating. He quotes himself, I like to say. Everything God says in that verse, it's verse 5, is quotes from the Old Testament or allusions to it. When he says, this is my son, God's quoting himself from Psalm 2. But when he anoints his own king on his holy hill, he says, this is my son. And he says, in whom I am well pleased, which comes from Isaiah 42, verse 1, the, the servant of the Lord, the servant passage. And, and there God says, it's a bit of a paraphrase in the English, but it's the same in the Hebrew. Uh, the one in whom my soul delights. That's the idea. This is the one in whom my soul delights. And then he says, hear him. And that's God quoting himself from Deuteronomy 18. Way back in, in Moses' day, Moses writes this. And God moves Moses to write these words. He says something like, I'm going to send another prophet after Moses who will 
who I will give my words. Listen to him. Deuteronomy 18.15. So God quotes himself in that verse. This is my son. My soul delights in him. Listen to him. Three statements that God makes. We tend to listen harder to great men than we do to Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. We need to watch out for that. Listen to him, God says. Well, three applications for this this morning. Uh, first of all, this is a, a call back to our Bibles. Second Peter 1, Peter makes that application himself. Uh, we can hear Jesus more certainly in his word than the disciples could on that Mount of Transfiguration. That's what 2 Peter 1.19 says. Uh, if you have a New King James, it's not the best translation here. It says that the word is confirmed. Uh, but the Greek is more like more reliable, more certain, right? A more reliable word than what Peter saw with his eyes at the, on the Mount of Transfiguration. That's what we have. More certain than any mountaintop experience you may have or pursue is this book. So this is a call back to our Bibles. Uh, are we listening to Jesus more than to other respected men? How does your Bible intake compare with your social media intake? I, I don't care if, if it's uh, Facebook, if it's Fat Theology Books, if it's Peter Lightheart or Doug Wilson or Glenn Beck or R.C. Sproul or John Piper or Tim Keller or John Kelvin or Tucker Carlson. Whoever it might be, which one of those tempts you to follow them, to listen to them harder than you'd listen to the Lord Jesus? Some of those do well to turn you toward Christ, but we're still tempted in ourselves to look to these great earthly men instead of reading this book for ourselves, following Jesus, taking up our cross, and following him. So it's a call back to our Bibles. Peter makes that call under divine inspiration of the Lord himself. We saw his majesty uh, eye to eye, but more reliable, more certain are these words. What a treasure. Uh, we need uh, to take it up and read. Second, uh, I've got as a second application, go tell it on the mountain. I thought of that just because they're on the mountain and uh, the verse 9, Jesus says as they're coming down, don't tell anybody. Like, what? Why not? We're always confused by this. Why tell no one? Well, it wasn't time to reveal Jesus in glory when he was going to the cross. It wasn't yet time to make him king, to have the people come and make him king. And besides, who would believe it before the resurrection that this has happened? So Jesus says, until I'm uh, risen again, tell no one. But that, that means uh, the opposite command is true. Since Jesus has uh, risen from the dead, tell everyone, go tell it on the mountain, that Jesus is born, that he is uh, raised, that he is uh, crucified on the cross, raised again from the dead, that he is uh, exalted and glorious. We have this call to go and tell people who Jesus really is. He's not simply a great human teacher, uh, a man who taught great moral things, uh, uh, one of those gurus uh, in the lineup. No. He is the Son of God. He is our glorious King. Third, we have a sobering prospect. 
uh, the last uh, few verses of our text from verse 10 on. The disciples have a question. They know their Bibles. They know how the Old Testament ends. God says at the end of the Old Testament, I'll send you Elijah before Messiah comes. And the disciples have had Elijah on their minds, and now they've seen him. So they, they, they want to know. They have a question. Why do the scribes say Elijah must come first? They're kind of indirectly asking. That was Elijah. He just came. So now it's the end, right? This is it. T- time for a victory dance. Time for triumph. Elijah has come. We know you're the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's over. But Jesus points them back to suffering. Just like in the last chapter, where Jesus says, I need to go to the cross. And Peter says, no, 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 no. Jesus says, get behind me. I need to go to the cross. And you need to take up your cross too. In the midst of this glory of Moses and Elijah showing up, Jesus again, afterwards, verse 12, I say to you, Elijah has come already. They didn't, they didn't know him, and they did to him whatever they wished. So when they're thinking of Elijah standing next to Jesus, again, they're, they're putting him on a pedestal. Wow, Elijah has come. Jesus gives them a sobering prospect. Yeah, Elijah came. What'd they do to him? Elijah is John the Baptist, who was beheaded by Herod. And Jesus says, that's likewise. The Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. John's coming foretold Jesus' arrival. John's death foretold Jesus' death. It, we even have it in the, the Transfiguration account itself, in, the, in, the Luke, in Luke's account, Luke 9.31. Moses and Elijah, when they appear, we actually hear what they're talking about. They're talking about Jesus' departure. The word is exodus, which really means his death. They're talking about when Jesus is going to die. That's what Moses and Elijah want to talk about. When we might want to be there and we might want to ask, Elijah, what was it like to hear the still, small voice? (laughs) We have all these other questions that are far less important. They want to talk about the departure, the death of Jesus. So, mountaintop experiences are given for our good. They're, They're a good thing, but we cannot stay there. And Jesus, on the way down, gives us this sobering prospect. These experiences, they're meant to strengthen us for spiritual battle in the trenches. And we know about that. Elijah in 1 Kings, on the mountain, he's fed by angels. And the text says that he went in the strength of that food. And then God gave him a task. He sent him back to work. Go anoint this guy. Go anoint that guy. Go say this to this guy. There's 7,000 who haven't bowed the knee to Baal yet. He strengthens him for his work. It's the same thing as we gather in worship. This is meant to be a mountaintop experience of sorts. Every seven days, we gather on the mountain, so to speak, in the heavenlies, Hebrews says. And it's the same idea. We're made for worship. We're made to do this. Worship isn't just a tool to recharge our batteries. It's the point of our lives itself. And... Yet, when we worship, we get perspective, and we get strength to serve the Lord. This is 
the transfiguration of Jesus. People of God, see uh, your Savior in all his glory, in all his majesty. God gives you this glimpse of the glory of Jesus here. Uh, we are called to take up our cross and to follow him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord God, we give you thanks for your word. Thank you for showing us your son, uh, for being well-pleased, delighted with him. Uh, thank you for his faithfulness to you, uh, for the covenant between father and son uh, to redeem a people uh, by the pure, the spotless sacrifice of Christ. Thank you for his uh, mission, which he fulfilled completely. Thank you for his rule in our lives as our king. Thank you for his words uh, teaching us uh, what your will is. Lord, we have a wonderful prophet and priest and king in our Savior Jesus. We ask that you would uh, draw us closer to him as we uh, prepare to go through a season of Lent, a time where we focus on the, the sufferings, the ministry of Jesus. Lord, give us eyes to see Give us feet to walk in his steps. All this we pray in the name of Jesus. Every living and we sing as he us. Before we come to the Lord's table, I'll mostly just be reading another account of Jesus uh, being shown in his glory. Luke chapter 24, verse 13. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And so it was, while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so that they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death. And crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. Then he said to them, O oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while we talked 
while he talked with us on the road, while he opened the scriptures to us? Thus by the reading of God's word, I pray that your eyes would be opened, that you would know him as we break bread together now. See the exalted Lord Jesus Christ, risen, enthroned. May your hearts burn within you. Worship him today. We do invite you to the Lord's table, all those who are baptized into the triune name of God, all those under the authority of Christ and his body, the church. As we eat this bread and drink this wine together, we are acknowledging that we are sinners without hope except in God's sovereign mercy, that we're trusting in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. So come with your children and welcome to the Lord Jesus. The body of Christ broken for you. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.